Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you've listened to the show for a while, you know this already, but every guest we have here has made something that I personally care about and admire. Sometimes they're people you've heard about, sometimes not. My next guest probably falls into the latter category. So hear me out. He's a guy from New Zealand. His name is Tom Scott. He's in his 30s. He lives in Auckland. He has a kid. He's been working in hip-hop for a little over a decade. He's one of the most important figures in New Zealand hip-hop, but financially, that doesn't mean all that much. In 2019, when I interviewed Tom, he'd just put out an album under the name Avondale Bowling Club. And it was, if I am honest, spectacular. It's a hip-hop record with jazz instrumentations, and that's real jazz, not just loops from jazz records. It's pushing forward into the territory that Kendrick Lamar staked out with To Pimp a Butterfly. It's also a personal album. He named it after the suburb of Auckland, where he grew up. It's where he lives now, too. Scott raps about his childhood, the places he's been, the people he doesn't see anymore, his family. It's one of my favorite records from that year, and I was excited to hear recently that he has followed it up with another Avondale Bowling Club album. Trees took Tom four years to make. He even made a test pressing of it, printed at the vinyl plant and everything, before scrapping it and then going back to the drawing board. It's more stripped down than the debut album, just as captivating, though. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a song from Avondale Bowling Club and their album Trees. This is 28. Eight grams in an ounce, break it down, 16 ounces in a pound, double that, round it up about 10 foul. Once you take away the rent, nothing left in the account. Add it up while I bag it up in the lounge next to my son, watching cartoons on the couch. Round about four to five deep in the now, sitting on about two to three years in a cell. But I'll be out in one wonder if I was brown Would I get the same amount of time for the same amount? It ain't hard to tell and it ain't hard to sell When everyone's depressed, this shit sells itself Go 40 y'all week for a box and a pouch Round about 15 years on the outs Small town about the size of a round Tom Scott, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, bro. I appreciate uh, it. I was thinking that this record feels like it is kind of about growing up. And... Yep. You're you're well into your thirties at this point. Uh, were you not a grown up before? Huh. I'm not a grown up as is. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still growing. I felt like there was some kind of you, you have to take um, checkpoints. You know, someone tweeted the other day. Every time you look in the mirror is a checkpoint. So that was pretty buzzy. But um, yeah, I think sometimes at the completion of an album is kind of like that. It's like a checkpoint to see where you are. You start to realize what's changed between records and yeah, see see how much you've matured from the last time. 
And I like to tell myself that I'm still maturing and going somewhere. So, yeah. Hip-hop isn't always the medium for maturing. And I say that as like a pretty serious hip-hop no, fan. For, yeah, but fair enough. It hasn't really had, you know, still only 40 years old, you know. Um, that's That's a young art form. And there's not really a template for how to do it. Jay-Z is kind of showing us some way to do it, but it's pretty easy to be a cool, mature rapper when you're multi-millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> but try to tell your, your friends you're a 34-year-old rapper when you're, when you've got my income. As a guy in my 30s myself, I feel like I, I really related to that song, Old Dogs, not because... I can still, you know, knock down trays on the basketball court, which I absolutely <laughs> cannot. Me neither. But it's about belief. You know, <laughs> you have to tell, you can't shoot to miss. My brother told me the other day, he's a professional. He said, you can't shoot to miss because especially in our country, we got this humility that, you know, we, we got to keep it humble in, in New Zealand. We're at the bottom of the world, da, da, da. But we often just shoot, like as long as it hits the ring, I won't look stupid, you know, but I think you got to, be willing to airball. That's what he was trying to tell me. I don't know if that's a metaphor, but that's where the cockiness in that verse comes from. It's like telling yourself, like, you got this. You got this. And I, I think you you learn more about how to shoot. You learn more about, you know, I, I can't beat some of these kids off the dribble anymore, but I can see the court a bit clearer. I think. At least I tell myself that to keep the shoes on. Do you get that feeling when you're uh, writing or on the microphone? Yeah, definitely. It's funny, you you start to master your craft by the time you're irrelevant, um, especially as a rapper. Maybe not so much as a, as a jazz bassist or something. But yeah, it's definitely like that. Um, and then trying to find a place where what you have to say should be heard as, as, a, as a weird one as a 34 year old yeah one of them days and we were chilling at the park feeling like a miller at the arc killing it like stocks at the garden feeling myself my self-esteem can't be guarded been on my car in san diego just got back from france and i got a little bit of that parisian in me still my knees are grown hill but I still feel like filled. I'm on that Zen team. Feel like I just won my 10th ring. I'm on. I can shoot the sun into a wedding ring from half quarters pouring shots. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what the hip hop scene is like in New Zealand? New Zealand is a, a small country. I mean, I, I looked it up and, and fewer people live in New Zealand than live here in Los Angeles. Yeah. I'd like to say it's a bunch of dispossessed people. A lot of people that relate to the art form for the reason it was created. A lot of people that have things to say about um, the state of politics, whether they deliberately say those things or not. They have those things that they need to say. And um, they gravitate towards this art form uh, because there's more freedom to speak on those things. It's almost encouraged, I, I guess. Yeah, people from working class neighborhoods the majority of those people being Polynesian people. It came it came to New Zealand from a Samoan dude called uh, Sugar Pop, I believe, who came from California, visited California, came down, started popping, 
And yeah, I mean, the hip hop scene's like anywhere else in the world. It's a, it's a little scene of people that get together. Yeah, these days, I guess it's getting more and more popular. It's pretty hard to speak about us it. like dancing about architecture. But um, yeah, that's my best description. Is it a job? I mean, can you tour in New Zealand and make a living? Nope. <laughs> you can, you can, like, I mean, there's, I'm just in the studio at the moment with the bro that I just met, and he, we were just talking about what it is to be a musician um, and the, all the other side hustles that you have to have as a musician in New Zealand. And the bro does, you know, he records a bunch of adverts and things like that, and then when the doors are shut, he makes his own stuff. And I think that's what a lot of us do. Um, you know, we wash dishes, we paint houses, we play in bands we might not really love, things like that. But that's how we're all getting through this world. I think we're all compromising our integrity throughout the day to, to keep the landlord fat. I want to play a little bit of Pocket Lint from your album Avantel Bowling Club. Sure. My lady lay like the rent I'm spent Every cent that I made I spent Cut the check and I paid my pen Now all I got is this pocket man Back to run the world ain't my friend Man that owned the land ain't my kid More with Tom Scott of Avondale Bowling Club after the break Stay with us, it's Bullseye From MaximumFun.org and NPR Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Tom Scott. He's a rapper based in New Zealand. He's been making records for a little over a decade there. Lately, he has been recording under the name Avondale Bowling Club. In 2018, that group recorded a beautiful self-titled debut. He just followed it up with Trees, which is out now. Tom and I talked in 2018. Before we get back into our conversation, let's hear another song from Trees, this is Friday night at the liquor store. Yes, yeah, an eight-hour day, forty-hour week, and it's a Friday night at the liquor store. Yeah, the water hole at the ish hole, the whole neighborhood lined up like prey in the Sahara. Dismount front truck cab and stampede the pool of Steinlaka like a school of piranha. Box under arm, but still under the armor. Young cub under the table watching his father. Red lions, great geese, purple iguanas, all running like mascara the day after. Still trying to chase a dragon they'll never catch. Still of a niche of which you'll never scratch with a scratchy. Blow a whole bag on a baggie. Bottle up a problem in a bottle of happy in the high vis tuck set. Avondale is a real place. Can you tell me about it? Avondale. I'm from a place called Avondale. Um, yeah. Uh, tell you about that. I just spent a whole album telling you about that. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a working class neighborhood. It's the most diverse neighborhood in the country, other than a place called Porirua. Um, So it's full of Polynesian people, Maori people, uh, Indian people. Chinese, Nigerian, and it's one of the last places in Auckland to still not be gentrified. In fact, the gentrification even just jumped over Avondale and went to New Lynn. Like, mm, we'll come back here. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's a place that we're still fighting for because I, I believe it's like, it's a template for 
utopia. It's not utopia, but it's some kind of like blueprint for it. Um, because you you all, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna get into some we are the world if I if I'm not careful here. But yeah, it's a beautiful place, and and it's and it's something I believe in. It's one of the only things I believe in, to be honest. Um, so I stand proud for it, and I've always try to put it on the map and speak about it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's my home. It's the place that that I associate with as as home. You left and came back, right? Yeah, I went to Melbourne. Um, just because in New Zealand, there's only so much you can do before you've you know outgrown the fishbowl. Not that it's a beautiful fishbowl. I, I I like the fishbowl, but yeah, had to jump. So I went to Melbourne, um, went looking for something over there, and it was a li- little bit harder than I'd expected. I was I was really growing into into the city, and then my girlfriend got pregnant. My fault. She she didn't just get pregnant. I impregnated her, and then we came home. Yeah, that's about the story there. Why did you decide to come home? <sighs> um, we came home because I wanted my son to be from here. I don't want to sound like a nationalist or anything like that, but I just wanted my son to be raised in this place because I I value everything about this this place. And, and I just didn't think he'd get those opportunities in Australia as much as the money was better in Australia and the, the fishbowl was bigger in Australia. There's just something about New Zealand, about Aotearoa that's just... Yeah, I I realized I valued it once I left it. When I think of the place I grew up, there are like particular spots that hold a lot of meaning for me. Yes, bro. Yeah. Um, And I wonder what those spots are for you with Avondale. I know exactly what those spots are for me. It's, um, It's funny, like it's the same spots you ran to when your mom sent you to your room, you know, the same spot you jumped out the window and went to. Um, and for me, it's this one, it's the end of Avondale Road. There's a creek there. And I have I went there when I was a kid and we climbed the pylons. I went there when I was a teenager and we smoked weed. And I still go there as an adult when I'm anxious. I still just go there. It's a old creek that you wouldn't want to swim in, but we did as kids. And... Yeah, it's still that place, and it's still that same basketball court that I went to as a kid. Um, yeah, I think maybe like we were saying, it's those spots that are familiar. And they're just so rich in, in data, you know, and in, in, um, data of of memories, you know, like, yeah, they're just so rich, so they just seem so lit up. Some, something about those places, yeah. I'm probably under no illusion that some of these things are constructs of my mind. I'm like under no illusion that when I speak of home, it's probably not a physical place. But maybe it's just that, you know, I can sit there and see this sort of augmented reality of the past. You know, I can like lay it over this creek, uh, the kids that we were playing in it, lay it over this creek, uh, um, you know, the teenagers that we were sitting there with a box of beers. It's really just a template. It's really just a, a background for memories, you know, to put layer memories on. So even if eventually there's a a big um, sweatshop built on top of that creek, 
I can probably still see under it. So I still value those physical places for some reason, you know? But yeah, they ch they change. But I, I just don't think... I mean, they're just such a, a, a great way to generate memories. When you go to those places, it just sparks memories. So I value those places. And yeah, I'm aware they change. But also, I think gentrification kind of teaches you what's important. There's a um, saying, a Māori saying, that goes, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. And that just means the people, the people, the people. Yeah, the Māori have a saying, tangata whenua, that means the people of the land. And so um, when I'm glamorizing and romanticizing this land, this, you know, this place, it's really not about the land, it's about the people. And I think that's what I've um I've learned through the gentrification of our neighborhood. If if um they push us out, I'll just follow the people, you know? I'll follow the nomadic people to wherever they push us. And I won't be too concerned that they want that piece of land because it's just a piece of land. Yeah. Let's hear uh Avondale Bowling Club and home. I heard about your most recent record on uh, a message board on the internet, which actually still exists. And the post was like, you wouldn't believe it. If I said that this was a jazz rap record from New Zealand that is really good, you might not think that that makes any sense. <laughs> and I thank goodness that they that they put it in that context. Because <laughs> if they had just said, this is a great jazz rap record from New Zealand, I would have been like, okay, fine, whatever. Enjoy uh, remaking Guru's <laughs> Jazzmataz or whatever for a, <laughs> with different local references. Um, but... When I listened to it, what I thought was it is so hard to combine the aesthetics of jazz and hip hop. And usually when someone says jazz hip hop, what they what they mean is they are pulling a sample from a jazz record, like, you know, a, usually yeah. a, a sort of soul jazz record, like Lou, Lou Donaldson or something like that. Just just pulling yeah. four bars from it and looping them up and yeah. adding a little bit harder drums. Like they're using it the same way that they would use uh, you know, the same way that they would use a sample from a from a journey record. You know yeah, what I mean? Straight up. And the aesthetic you know, it sounds different. And most journalists would probably still go, Oh, it's got jazzy undertones yeah. if it was a journey <laughs> record, you know? I think that your record is much more a, a jazz record uh than most records that are called jazz rap records. And I I wonder if that was intentional and why you made that choice. Yeah, I I I think I was well aware of everything you just mentioned. Um 
And the jazz I was listening to was jazz, so I wanted to make that. I wanted to make it sound like Ferris Sanders, not like Guru. I wanted it to have the musicianship of a jazz record, of a Blue Note record, or of a Strata East record. Um, yeah, and so that's how I set out to do it. And then it was inevitable that people were going to call it jazz rap because it had jazz and rap in it. And I just love jazz music, and I wanted to try to add something to that legacy. And it's really hard to do because it's not mine to take. And it's, um, you know, I just went to a jazz gig on Monday, an, an amazing gig, but it, no one was dancing. No one was dancing, maybe because it, it was in 5-7 or something, I don't know, but it still seemed a bit backwards, like where jazz is these days and what it means. It's kind of sad, like it's gentrified, you know? Like, it's like this, like, wanky intellectual music that it, it doesn't have to be. Like, so it's such a dangerous um, weapon to play with. But yeah, that's that's what it was. I, I and, and there's just so much you can do with it. It's just, I, I feel like I could make another seven albums with this formula and they'd all be different. So, yeah, I'm just, I, I just want to, honor all the greats that taught me the things I understand about this music and yeah and hopefully not it on on what it is are you an instrumentalist no far from it so how do you make a record like this uh just you're kind of forced to I guess yeah a lot of the time when I try to explain um, how the record was made, it feels like I'm saying that I was kind of forced to do it because um, I don't really know much about mixing or engineering or anything. I just know what chords speak to me. And so I would just find those chords through samples and things like that. And then I'd just try to make them more interesting by getting friends I knew to um, add to them, whether it was Julian Dine on drums or... Um, Jonathan Crayford on keys or Guy Harrison, da-da-da-da, all these people that I was lucky enough to know, I just got them to add to it. And then accidentally through that, I guess I was kind of a producer. Um, but I had a lot of um, friends that helped me as well. Um, I Through that, I accidentally became some sort of producer, I guess. Producer. I'm a producer. I produce things, innit? Um, and yeah, that's that's what it is, I guess. But I think every I think rappers probably a lot of the time get undervalued as producers. Like it's often probably assumed that the rapper had nothing to do with how the record sounds, you know. And I think that's probably wrong a lot of the time. Um, yeah, so maybe that will be a nice myth to bust. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Kanye West could sit down at a piano and play the entertainer um but like you know kanye west is a is a guy who came from sample-based production you know like certainly kanye west knows his way around an mpc a, a sampler um but i don't think he likely even puts hands on the mpc much anymore uh, what he is doing is, but, but at the same time, I don't think his music is any less his for it. Like, 
I, I don't think there's any doubt that whether there's a guitarist in there or a guy who brought a stack of records or uh, whatever, it is all coming from it, it is all coming from the producer on those on those records and the producer is Kanye West. And I would say the same even of, you know, you know, I'm sure it's the same for Kendrick Lamar, a guy who doesn't who's probably never made a beat in his life. Um yeah, that definitely. It, it's clear that someone is in charge of those records or they would all sound different. <laughs> yeah. And maybe there's not a um particular title that you can give because we always want to um, you know, like we always want to give that title like oh, he's not just a rapper, he's a rapper slash uh, producer slash, you know, but maybe it's a bit more complicated and those titles are an easy way for us to sort of put things in the boxes. Like, you know, people often when, you know, they want to call a rapper a poet, but, you know, sometimes a rapper is just a rapper who's poetic. Um, I get really mad so when you, people call yeah. rappers poets. Yeah, you know. I'm like, it's, you, and, you and, know and, what? Rappers are bad poets, but you know what? Poets are bad rappers. <laughs> yeah, straight, straight up. That that's that's why we try to avoid calling people rappers in the first place because no one wants to own it. Like you know, everyone wants to try to pretend they're something bigger than that. But in doing so, you lose all the best ones because the best ones don't want to admit that they are rappers. And so now we're calling them all poets. Like, yeah, it's kind of dangerous. I like to I like to own the genre of hip hop and and claim it. Because yeah, it's it's an intricate genre, and there's so much more to it than the box that um people want to put all the rappers in. Let's hear some of Years Gone By, which is the opening track of of the self titled album from my guest Tom Scott, Avondale Bowling Club. I cut another tree down across the town while I watch a lifetime pass me by, looking back on old days, glossy eyes. Watching years go like my auntie's mom We used to sit up in the car parking and Now a night like that, it's hard to find Looking back on old times, I can't rewind Talking to my old friends that aren't alive No more the years gone by This song was a single. It's also like five or seven <laughs> minutes long. And it's basically your entire autobiography. Hmm. It's the story. It's the story of your life, more or less, year by year. Hmm. Was was that a hard thing or an easy thing to write? I guess it was both, because eh? it's cathartic. But I also had to be quite specific. And um, to be honest, I probably don't remember most of my life. But maybe maybe that was just me, like putting together a little um, bunch of stuff to identify with, because I have no memory. Um, maybe I smoked it away, I don't know, but I really don't remember most of my life. Most times people tell me things, I'm like, true, I did that, that's interesting. Um, so maybe that's why I wrote that. But yeah, it was it was hard to to sum up um, a whole year in, in two bars or sometimes four. But um, it's probably easier than writing a whole autobiography. Like, you know. At least it ends in seven minutes. <laughs> but but yeah, I I, th- I think it is. I think there's something interesting about trying to recall your whole life because, you know, every time you you bring a memory up, you uh, you taint it right with where you are remembering it. And, um, so, 
it's really hard to know what really happened in your life and and how much how much weight you should place on each moment i think that causes a lot of mental health issues you know like how, how much we think our our parents weren't there for us or you know what i mean because you really can't you can even the trauma you only remember a couple of days of it and and how how important was that compared to the other years where everything wasn't traumatic um i think those were some of the difficulties in in writing that song just making sure not to um accidentally disrupt my whole um reality you know by conjuring up these memories um and giving them too much power yeah I mean the whole album is kind of elegiac it's it's about what has what is irrevocably gone like it's about the past and mm. and memory but like it's in a particular way it's it's about, not so much about living in that as just that that will never be yeah. Yeah. again because it's past yeah. interesting eh? and but and then sometimes it's just dangerous to think that we can ever recall it you know like cuz it is gone it's totally gone and and it's like trying to paint a car that just went past you know like you'll do your best impression you know how things don't even hold up in court like um testimony from witnesses and things you know and how much that is um disproof against memory being you know like how fallible memory is i'm quite obsessed with that and, and interested in that idea so yeah, I don't know how much weight you should put into memory. But I I'm guilty of reminiscing for sure. Both memory and hip hop and especially on this record are like in a way acts of editing. You know, like creating music from other music is about capturing these like little fleeting moments. I mean, there's 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 hip hop that recreates old music substantially you know that was there the golden age of uh puff daddy solo singles he was practically rapping over disco instrumentals but mm -hmm. mostly it's about capturing these little these little pieces as they like grabbing them as they float by and saying like you know what if what if we built the whole airplane out of the black box mm. and mm. and i feel like memory is the same thing like and and this song is the same thing like it's you just picking the little pieces because there's no way to fit your life into a song. Mm. But it's just these little things that, that stick out, you know, your, your MC hammer tape and mm. track number nine on all eyes on me. Hmm. And those may be the things that you're built upon. Eh? But then that's, I think that's also what I'm saying is that you don't, I want to remember more. I want to remember that there was a lot more. Um, but I guess after a while you can't, or maybe you just can't access it. I want to, I want to ask you about a few of the things that you rap about in, uh, years gone by the, the autobiographical track on this record. When you were a kid, uh, you say in, in 92, my drunk dad dumped, sh jumped ship on my mom. Um, yeah. how, how old were you? I think I was about, wait, 92, six, eight. Yeah, I was eight. Um, I think 
it's a bit rough that I said that. I, when in saying that line, I was like, oh, it wasn't totally my dad's fault, but it kind of was. He he was seeing another lady. My mum went to. He's a he's a bass player. So one day, my mum decided to go to um, check one of the. He, he's like, you know, I got a gig tonight. I'll see you later. Um, da da da. And I guess my mum's intuition was like, I'll go see what he's up to. And she went along and saw that he was with another girl. Da 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 da. Anyway, they broke up. But I remember the day my mum told me, like, me and your dad aren't going to be living in the same house anymore. And all I said was, right, that's cool. Can I go outside and play basketball now? And um, maybe that's when I started repressing it. I don't know. But it didn't really affect me that hard. But, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, yeah, and then my mum sort of raised me and my dad in my head kind of wasn't there. But I'm scared that I'm, like, giving him, I'm just putting all the blame on him, to be honest. I better be paying you $450 an hour now that I'm confessing all this. Well, you go to a really premium therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that's, I mean, that's that's my story, and that's probably most people's story of my generation. Like, how many marriages work out? The line that comes after that line about your dad jumping ship on your mom is, or, or the two lines that come after are, in 93, I won my first fight like a D-O-double-G, and obviously that was that was the year that, that Snoop Dogg came out. Yeah still mad at the man I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I think at the time I had no connection of those two events, right? But there was some stage where my mom told me that that year I was a real, I was really disruptive in class. I don't know if it was because I just learned how to say no and how to rebel or if I was mad at the man I wanted to be. And I think I kind of was. I think I was a little bit gutted about it. Um, and you know what? Unrightfully so. I, I don't think I had a right to be. Because he tried to do what he could. And now I find myself in his shoes raising my kid. And it's hard, man. It's hard to have time for your child and your partner. One one thing I've been... Cheesy metaphor that I've been talking on but lately is like... If you want to f- feed a, a plant, you water the roots. And I think like... We forget to do that when we have children. We forget to water the relationship, like put time into the relationship. Because if you do that, your kid's going to be good. But anyway, I don't think my dad and my mom really did that. And yeah, I guess it kind of upset me, but I just feel like such a brat being upset by that. You know, it's the kind of thing you should just deal with, you know? It's not it's not your problem. Uh, I, Number one, I don't think that's true. Uh the not your problem part. But number two, I feel like one of the things that I have learned as an adult, and especially yeah. from a- actual therapy, was that it was okay for me to simultaneously believe that things about my childhood caused me emotional problems that I still yeah. grapple with to this day. But, yeah. but that that did not mean that my parents weren't and aren't good people who are doing their best. Yeah. I think, you know, they, they're they just kids, man. They're just trying. Like, maybe it's a dangerous thing to to put as much weight as we do on the definition of a parent. You know what I mean? Like, there's a Tupac song that says, Mama's just a little girl. And just, that sums it up in that line right there. You know, you just, they were just trying. They didn't They didn't know what they were doing. So, yeah, 
But yeah, it's not to say that, that your pain isn't real. I just think there's a lot more to be sad about in the world than, than that. In this song, Years Gone By, you, you rap a little bit about the mid-aughts. Mm. And it, it sounds like in the early years of the 21st century, you really got lost. Yeah, I did. Didn't know I was lost, though, like anyone who's lost. <sighs> but looking back at it, I realized I definitely was. Um, I dropped out of school. School didn't do it for me. I don't know where that started, but at some point I, I was I was more concerned with Nas than Shakespeare, and I, I didn't relate to what the school system was trying to give me. Maybe that's my excuse for my bad attention span. I don't know, whatever it was. I went to a public school, not trying to blame it on that either. But I dropped out of school, and then I worked all these jobs, like cleaning hotel beds. That's why I just left a tip at the hotel I'm in because I know how painful that is. Packing rice in a factory, um, digging holes for the council, everything. My mama was like, you go pay the rent, you know? Yeah, to be honest, all those jobs showed me, like, they taught me more than anything I ever learned, like the value of a dollar and all of that. Anyway, I got lost somewhere in there because I think it was hard. And and, in New Zealand... In the working class, we work and then we drink. That's what we do. On a Friday night, the liquor store has a line out the door, you know? You work and you drink. And in the process of that, I got a bit lost and I fell out with my best friend. One night we got way too drunk and we got in a fight. And um, just everything was going wrong. I was with this girl. She left because I was a piece of And, um, yeah. And I kept doing my music, and I guess music eventually was the remedy that I needed. But um, it was, yeah, it was a hard time, I guess, looking back. Plus, you're too young to know what's going on, you know, thrown out, thrown out of the house, sort of figuring it all out. Is that a universal kind of feeling? I got thrown out of the house, too. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I'm a committed rule follower. Um, yeah. which is why I work in public radio. <laughs> but um, it, it's terrifying. Yeah. It was, eh? I mean, it's part of it, though, right? It's like rite of passage, crippling depression. <laughs> <laughs> you have a line in the song uh, where you say, then 06, my homie hung in the park where we all hung. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We used to we used to drink in this park in uh Morningside. All of us, you know, first time we started smoking it, you know, we're smoking mad weed just every day, all day. Getting into trouble. We're all best friends, you know. And um one of my bros he started getting into like he was smoking meth and stealing cars and all sorts of shit. and um one night he crashed this car and he came around to the bro's house and the bro wasn't there and he left and I think that night he, he hung himself in that park where we used to drink and that 
me up. And um, yeah, because in New Zealand, a lot of us do it. A lot of us young men do that. Um, I don't know what you guys know about this country, but we're a colonized country, you know. I'm someone with the same skin as the colonizers. But um, they brought with them, you know, Catholicism and sort of hushed out the, the native people's um, culture and beliefs, a, tr a tribal people who would speak about their problems and, you know, brought with it this sort of harden up attitude, you know. We, th we thrive at rugby, a sport that's just played by macho dungies, to be honest, um, and and that's our that's our attitude on things here. Harden up, you know. That's something you'll constantly hear people say here. Harden up. And there was a thing where you weren't even allowed to talk about suicide on the radio because they thought that that sort of led people to do it. Like we we don't know what the f we're doing with this problem. We we got some ideas, but we really haven't solved it. We got the highest rate of youth suicide in the world, and and we got it good. We're supposed to be, you know, clean green New Zealand. But yeah, so everyone in this country probably knows someone who took their life. And for me that was a that changed everything for me that 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 day when I found out that my bro had, had taken hers. After that I just swore that I would never I'd never let my um masculinity get in the way of like my emotions ever again. You know, and I'm I'm a tough I'm a tough kid myself, you know. Um I'm from a place where you had to know how to fight and you had to, like, you, you had to be hard, you know? But I'm I'm over that. It's, it's, it's not worth it. I said, you know, like, the amount of times you could be wrong by being positive, I think, outweigh the amount of times you could be wrong being negative, you know? What if you're wrong about your, your self-worth, you know? We're taking a break. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Did your neighbor back into your car? Bring that case to Judge Judy. Think the mailman might be the real father? Give that one to Judge Mathis. But does your mom want you to flush her ashes down the toilet at Disney World when she passes away? Now that's my jurisdiction. Welcome to the court of Judge John Hodgman, where the people are real, the disputes are real, and the stakes are often unusual. If I got arrested for dumping your ashes in the Jungle Cruise, it would be an honor. I don't want to be part of somebody getting a super yacht. I don't know at what point you want to go into this, but we've had a worm bin before. Available free right now at MaximumFun.org. Judge John Hodgman, the court of last resort when your wife won't stop pretending to be a cat and knocking the clean laundry over. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to Bullseye. My guest is rapper Tom Scott of Avondale Bowling Club. There's a beautiful song on the record called Friends with the R in parentheses, so it also spells fiends. Yeah. Old boy sitting in the dark with a light bulb And a ladder in the sand like a pyro Just come put the thing down like an iPhone Got too high, flipped out like a psycho What's he gonna do? Where's he gonna go now? Lost I heard he was living in a motel Broke up with his old girl Then he broke down, took it out on the best bro They ain't bros now What you really know about spot like that? 31 years old, addicted to crack since way back How you gonna quit like that? Try kick that shaft, it'll kick right back uh, move back. There are a lot of hip-hop records about 
drug addiction and they come mostly from two perspectives or have mostly come from two perspectives. One is I do this all the time. This isn't a problem. Mm. And one is, you know, kind of a classic, yeah, crackheads are funny hmm. and pathetic. And I mean, I, I don't mean to say that that's every, every hip hop song about drug addiction, but that, but that's a lot of them. And yeah. I think Nas is definitely, uh, yeah, let's make sure that we're not the white guys that say all of African-American music is about drug dealers. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Not at all. But, you know. You're def we're definitely not saying that. Eh? Even Nas but, was laughing at bass heads. Um, yeah, true. Selling some stolen amps. Yeah. Broken amps? Broken yeah. amps, yeah. Um, no, nah, you're right. And Friends is a song that is like deeply sympathetic to mm. people who are deep in drug addiction. Yeah. I think that, I think the reason being is that my parents were both fiends. My dad still struggles with addiction. Um, they both come from the love movement, which, you know, nothing feels more like love than opiates, you know. Um, so I know how to empathize with a fiend. And um, that's really the only way to fix it. Like, you know, these people need help. And, and we could go a bit deeper into, like, how many people need help because, yeah, I, I just kind of also believe that if you grew the, the weed... It's it's you know it's on you to remove it as a you know as a society it's like that came from something so yeah our addiction problems in New Zealand come from probably our toxic masculinity you know our refusal to acknowledge colonialism da 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 da, da. there's a whole lot to it and I think we got to start by empathizing these people that are victims of the system my my old man now he works in a in a needle clinic. Um, where they provide like services for people that are addicted to certain substances, and he gets in trouble from the the management because he's too empathetic to these people. They're like, you can't get attached to these people. They're bloody fiends, you know. And it's a weird way of looking at things, man. It's weird. I don't get it. I don't get it. Did spending all this time on this record, and you worked on this record for years. And making a record that is so much a kind of record of your life, no pun intended, um, did it change the way you think about yourself? I think so, because I, I now get to reflect on everything. Um, it's like the timer went off. What do you think of yourself? Okay, uh, that's all the time we have. What do you think of yourself now? So, yeah. I think it definitely did. It was a, it was a checkpoint, like I was saying. I I think it it helped me. I th I think it really did help. Eh? Like now that you asked that, no one's ever really asked that. But yeah, it helps you see yourself and see where you're at and where you're going. Mm. Yeah, and I now see my. I can see myself as a father. I can see myself a little bit as a role model, and understand what I got to do from here. It changed the way I see myself, I think. I don't really like seeing myself. It's frightening. But yeah, it did. Tom, I, I really appreciate you taking all this time to be on Bullseye. It was really great to talk to you. Bro, I appreciate you taking all this time, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Thank you.
Tom Scott. His group, Avondale Bowling Club's latest album is called Trees. You can find out how to buy it on the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. Let's go out with one last song from Trees. This is Still Feel Broke. Fresh crate with the crab, pair that with the sand, sand bass with the hash, pair tonic and ash. Old girl had to smash that, really, I thought it was Av. Tell the truth was trash, really, but fuck it, I wanted to splash. Blow a rat like a sack, sipping on yak like golden pass, tipping the bag boy like a bad boy, hit a bag lady with the bag, sipping the house red with the head chef with the white stuck in my stash. Smash, making it sand hole in the band, I'm no one ass, but it's a knack, though I'm bored, man. Never wanted to board, I fucked that food court, just wanted to play some whores. On the old post, I'm poor, on the poor, chopping a new place at a poor, far from poor, but I'll probably take this mortgage to the morgue, really, what Good as a vegan adored. If I still feel like a fraud, hearing a sold out town hall applaud and still feeling ignored. Rough on floor, what the weather with another reward? Give it to Lord. I was just happy to play support. This is the therapy I couldn't afford. Writing these words just to cope. Bro, this hurt just to smoke. Really get sold. Just jokes, bro. This coach just a cloak. All of these fans just some fiends. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, I finally retired the set of drinking glasses that I bought 10 or 15 years ago at a thrift store. I had broken one too many. Two of them got stuck together when I tried to separate them using heat and cold to expand and contract them. One of them exploded. Uh, the new ones the new ones are tempered glass. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at MaxFun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation, recorded by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team. Thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Uh, they let us use that. We appreciate it. Bullseye is on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, at Bullseye on Twitter, facebook.com slash Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, and search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on YouTube. You will find our interviews and stuff we're up to there, Uh, great places to go if you want to share something that you liked on this week's show. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.